Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 160 of the Double Density Podcast with your host, Brian Angelo. Double Density is your home to tech tales and paranormal primers. Now, first things first, Angelo, it has been quite the couple of weeks um, for both you and I as hosts, but also um, for our very special guest uh, who has a lot of like interesting things going on in his life since we last spoke to him. So, uh, author, uh, former MUFON member, uh, 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 Renaissance man extraordinaire Ian Rogers joins us uh, on this episode here. And um, so it's been 11 and a half months since you last joined us um, on Double Density. And uh, we were at the start of the pandemic. Now we've, you know, we're living through it more and more. Um, and since then, you have become the quasi-subject of a uh, documentary airing here in Canada, and hopefully internationally soon, called UFO Town. And uh, that is sort of the crux by which uh, you were joining us here. So uh, to anyone who's sort of interested in Ian's origins, uh, we have a double part from last year to go check out um, first. And then I guess we'll link to those in the show notes. But then let us kind of do like a, you know, in situ kind of like a meteor res kind of like situation. Like, how are you doing April 2021? Well, it's a little surreal now because in my Facebook memories, COVID memories from a year ago are now uh, popping up. So uh, living with the pandemic to the point now where Facebook is reminding me that it's been a, a solid year of uh, social social distancing and face masks. Uh, it's still a little surreal. There's a lot of people I know who, for them, the year was just sort of a wash. They didn't do anything or they just worked from home in a daze or were taking care of the kids. Um I ended up doing quite a bit in the past year. Uh, I didn't really plan for it to be that way. It just sort of uh, happened the way that these things sometimes do. Well, it's funny because you had originally reached out to us in listening to our uh, Guardian episode um, that we had done, I think, like almost like two years ago at this point, or like a year and a half or change. And you had mentioned that y- you had started to film this, and then suddenly, because of COVID, there had to be a break. So you kind of ended up uh, uh, filming uh, more of it. Uh, in the summer of the fall, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, you're right. I think it was actually was supposed to be about a year ago. We were supposed to start filming. Then the lock, the first lockdown happened. And then, you know, like a year ago, it was like, oh, it's only going to be a couple of weeks, three tops. And then, you know, well, this thing will be done. It'll be in our rearview mirror and we'll get back to filming. We didn't start actually filming until August. And that was just because uh, things had, uh, um, I wouldn't even say quieted down, but it was sort of the, it was the end of the first wave and the warm weather, people are outside. You can, you can uh, you can do a bit more, right? So uh, the numbers were low, and even then, the the crew that we worked with was uh, was very small. It was like six or seven people. Um, still, everyone taking all the precautions. It was great. Cause, I mean, they were they're filming in my home. They were filming in my parents' home. So this was obviously a concern to us. But uh, they had the uh, the protocols down down pat. You know, taking temperatures, masks, social distancing. It was uh, they made us all feel really really comfortable, really uh, really really professional. And it was just something nice to do. I mean, it was sort of like the eye of the storm, you know, like all this crazy stuff is going on in the world. Uh, the U.S. is gearing up for their their election in that fall. And here we are uh, out in West Carlton filming a documentary about UFOs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I noticed they filmed some of it in your house because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking at you right now and I see the desk that appeared in the documentary. And... That room you were in with, with the green and white tiles, was that in the Diefen bunker as well? Yeah, that was the Diefen bunker, uh, the commissary. That was like their, their cafeteria area. It was actually pretty funny. They were, uh, they've got some sort of camp at, uh, at Diefen Baker, and um, it's like spy camp, I think is what it's called. And <laughs> as my wife and I were going into the bunker, they were playing this game in the parking lot, and all you heard was this camp counselor going, 
all right, now you guys are all the normal people. Who wants to be the killer? And we just looked over <laughs> as we're walking by, and we're like, "What? What's going on here?" It's like it's not the camp that I went to as a kid. But <laughs> it is a perfect place for a murder, though. Oh, absolutely! It's uh, it's a cool place, but it's spooky, especially when you think of the uh, sort of like the connotations of why it exists. I mean, it's it's far enough away from Ottawa that in theory it'll it'll survive a nuclear blast, so that they can locate you know the, the major people in Canadian government to sort of stick them under the ground and survive, you know, and the, the comms room, I mean, you know, they can basically, they could, they could contact any place in the world from this place uh, underground. It was, it was just really cool. It was, you definitely get a, uh, Dr. Strangelove vibe once you're, once you're down there and, um, it's cold, you know, you're underground and it's, it's not functioning. So it just, there's just so many ways where it just really drives home the fact that you're, you're in a nuclear bunker, many stories under the ground, you know. And then when you think of the context that we're there for to shoot this uh, really cool documentary, um, it was just perfect. It was it was just one of these perfect locations where it wasn't kitschy, you know. It just it felt right. It felt very appropriate, you know. And and the fact that it wasn't just UFO related or government related, it's also very Canadian, you know. Like a lot of people know what the Deepin Bunker is, so it was it was just really cool. I'd never been there before, and I've been up to that area all the time. My sister in law and her family um, lives up in that area. They'd never been, so it, it was really cool just to visit. So very quickly, the thing I care about the most, um, all that B roll of you walking around. Where was that shot, and when? Which part of me walking around in the woods or uh, exactly? Because there's like some woods, and then there was like some winter and some like warmer weather. So I feel like they spent a lot of time um, um, shooting you, just kind of walking around. Yeah, I was actually. It was kind of flattering because I mean, when you're dealing with film people, you never really know what what they're telling you is the truth. Or you know, I mean, are they trying to butter you up, or are they trying to tell you one thing or another? Um, I've had all kinds of dealings with film people just in my writing career, and, and like I said, they're nice enough. You just sort of have to understand who you're talking to. And, and what they're saying to you. So when they started, uh, when we finished filming in August, uh, they went and started uh, finishing the rest of their filming, and then they started cutting and editing it that fall. And around, I think it was around December, they, they said that they, were, they had a cut together, and they'd showed it to the CBC, and the CBC thought it was really great, but in their only real notes they had back was more Ian. So oh. I thought that was nice. <laughs> and uh, I was like, well, that's, that's nice. But again, I don't know if actually they're just saying that because they're being nice or if they actually mean it. Um, but they needed a few um, things to sort of fill in the blanks. So some footage they didn't get. Uh, just for example, like just something really random. They did not have anyone on camera actually saying what MUFON stands for. So it was just, right. there's, it was just little stuff like that. It was just little, like the MUFON is mentioned a lot, but no one actually says the mutual UFO network nowhere uh, on tape. So they needed to do um, some some pickups, just a couple of reshoots. So it was early January, right before our second lockdown. They just came up. There was just two of them. It was just the producer and a, and a sound guy, cameraman. And uh, they quickly shot this stuff, which, again, is why most of the documentary is, is very clearly uh, shot in the summer. And then there's a few of these winter shots where I'm sort of tromping through the snow. So those were shot in uh, Peterborough, sort of uh, Miller's, Miller's Creek, which is like a conservation area just north of where I live um, in January. So you're kind of like the linchpin of the whole documentary. And I don't mean that because you're speaking to us, but like it, you know, you kind of tie all the different threads together, which I found very interesting because I remember in one of our email exchanges setting this up is that you're quite surprised at the end product, having seen it before it aired, how like much you had appeared, I guess, because, you know, as much as um, witnesses are interesting, I feel like you kind of held the narrative, right? They, that you were kind of the, the, the stand in almost for, for the mm -hmm. viewer to sort of be walked through the journey. Um, 
Is there anything, I guess my big question is that like having known a lot of the cases, is there anything you'd wish they'd sort of like mentioned a little bit more, a little bit less? Like, yeah, you know, just given that you, you know, you were one um, angle of the, of the entire documentary. Well, I mean, you say linchpin, like I, I prefer mega star of the documentary. Okay. Of course, but, you of know, course, like of it's course. just it's only it's only been a week since it aired, and the ego is just already gone. You know, like <laughs> I look like one of those gray aliens now with the giant heads. So. Right. Well, we're on Skype video, and like we we didn't want to say anything, but like clearly well, a little bit more inflated than last time, right? So exactly, exactly. I mean, it's to be expected. You know, I'm a CBC star now. Um, <laughs> Why is everything gold-plated in your office now? Well, the, the question is, why wasn't it gold-plated before, is, is, is what I'm asking myself. But, you know, I've got people I can pay now to ask those questions, you know, Angela. I don't, you know, I don't even do that anymore. Questions are for peasants, you know. Um, they, you know what, they actually did a good job of covering everything. The, the Bunker interview was, um, it was supposed to be me in the morning and Graham Lightfoot in the, in the afternoon. And unfortunately, Graham broke his shoulder that day, or the day before. Oh gosh. And, okay. um, and he's quite elderly and he's okay. Um, but it was just like, what are the odds the day before? And I was looking forward to seeing him. I hadn't seen him in like 30 years. Um, again, a lot of these people are not around, you know, Bob Exler died in 2020. Tom Theophanis yeah. died in 2020. Like there's, a, there's not a lot of people left around who really know, knew this story. People that I knew from back in the day. So I ended up doing, um, two or three hours in the after or in the morning. And then another two, two or three in the afternoon, it was like an all day interview in the bunker. <clears throat> and I just laid out the entire timeline. So, um, stuff you don't see in the documentary, it wasn't really because it wasn't really covered. Um, one aspect uh, that we did cover that doesn't really get into the documentary at all was the RCMP investigation. And they're yeah. just, they're just not enough time. It's 44 minute documentary. Right. And they have to sort of have a, a like a focus, sort of like a unified vision of this thing. You can't go off on too many sort of side tangents because there just, there isn't any time and you're just going to confuse people. So I think the RCMP component is really cool. And if they had another 30 minutes or even 15, 20 minutes, it would have been great. I could have broken it down. Um, well, I did. Uh, I did break it down. They could have they could have used that footage rather in the documentary, but they didn't really need to. Um, I think that they did a pretty good job of addressing the Dar- the Guardian case, sort of where the unsolved mysteries episode left off, and then sort of going into this larger um, uh, examination of sort of belief and why we believe the things we do, and then going into Guardian and his motives. You know, why does why does Guardian do the things that he do? You know, or did, did did the things that he did? You know, if this is a hoax, why why did he do that? Was it just for attention? Did it get out of hand? You know, was he not expecting it to get you know that kind of attention? Um, I think that they did a really solid job. I'm I'm really really happy with it. Um, uh, and absolutely not just because I'm, I'm in the documentary quite a bit. I I was not expecting to be in it that much. And I was actually quite uncomfortable when, when they told me again, I wasn't, I wasn't really sure when they told me that I was like, yeah, sure, sure. They're saying I'm, I'm what did they call me the, the central figure. And I was like, sure, sure. They're just, they're being nice, you know, but you know, editing, you know, you could, you could be edited right out of this thing. It's, it happens. And, and I knew that when I was shooting uh, back in August. And then when they, they sent us an advanced uh, copy of it, my, my wife and I, and we sat down to watch it. I remember I had a, I had a big glass of scotch because i was really nervous and i was like i need a drink to sort of steady my nerves <laughs> and uh yeah i mean i mean you guys have seen it it starts right off with me doing open narration right and then i'm all in it and then i'm cl- and then i close it with closing narration so uh, i i was i was happy with with what it was but it still makes me kind of uncomfortable to watch it because i just don't like looking at myself <laughs> yeah of course 
Was the advanced copy sent on a VHS tape with a thumbprint on it? That would have been fun. It ought to have been. You know what they should have been? There should have been like a whole Guardian gift basket, you know? Like, here you go with some <laughs> fake documents, you know? it's uh, In retrospect, I, uh, I think that they should have done that. That would have been great. One of the interesting aspects of the documentary, sort of like pivoting, um, is the lack of mentioning of of Diane Labanek and her whole story because she's so central to the '90s stuff that I was kind of surprised that, like, apart from like one mention or two mentions in passing, that like it wasn't more um, um, brought up, I guess. But once again, trying to filter out, you know, a lifetime of stories into 44 minutes is quite difficult. Yeah, and she, I think they did reach out to her, and either she just didn't get back to them, or she just said she didn't want to be involved. Um, they tried to reach out to, I think, a couple of her kids, too. I think they were actually talking to one of her kids at one point. I, I can't really remember. This was back early days because um, her kids are adults now. Um, but it is it is funny. I mean, I drove by a few of the old haunts um, from back in my investigation days when we were up there. So, like, I drove by her house. I was driving all around, you know, Corkery Road, Manion Corners, that whole area, um, matching up old photos. It was actually cool. I was taking pictures on my phone, matching up photos I had taken. Here's here's the road, and here's how it looks, you know, today, 30 years later. That, that was actually kind of cool. Um, the Labanex, um, they've got like a uh, like a yurt. It's like this, like a like a tent almost thing on their B. They've got a BNB uh, Airbnb thing for it. And so, even though she didn't want to be involved, they, she's she's renting this yurt on her property. Um, and the 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 spin for it is come out here, you know, it's this nice nature area. It's also the site of a very popular UFO thing from Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> so, so she's not shying away from it. She just didn't want to be involved in the documentary. So, I don't want to suggest anything, but given the fact that like, this is a documentary, right? you're not necessarily paid for your time, maybe there's a bit of a financial motive there. Not that I'm sure. saying that it is definitely what it is, but given that sort of information, because I also had found that out because I had a friend who lives in the area and he had brought it to my attention too. And I was like, oh, that's super interesting that she or, or the family would, would do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it, you know, it actually just speaks to uh, the wackiness of the case. It's sort of like the little coda to it, in my opinion, because when I was going up to investigate it, the, the, inve- the, the, the Canadians had already done their bit and were basically like, oh, Guardians is up to his old tricks again. They didn't really care. It's, it's a hoax. Um, I pretty much knew that it was a hoax going in, but I was just more curious about actually tracking down Guardian and sort of the psychological aspect of it, the people. It was, it's it's such a cast of characters. So yeah, when you find out the, that the Labanex are selling or are renting up this yurt on the property and, and using the Unsolved Mysteries to market it, um, it was like nothing's hot, nothing's changed in 30 years, you know? It's just like, it's just weird. You, all this time has passed and you look back and now it's like, wow, some things are just the exact same, you know? Was there any point where you and your wife had maybe discussed like renting it for a night just to see what it was like? Uh, yeah, me and my wife rented, talked about it. Me and the, one of the producers talked about doing it because uh, he, he's a writer as well. We just thought, you know, uh, I don't know if we could do it now. They know who we are. But um, I mean, not even not even just to go there and grill them or anything. But I just thought in terms of like a kitschy, a wacky kind of a thing, you go yeah, up there of and do something just, just for fun. I mean, we didn't... Um, we're not out there. This is for the CBC, right? It's not for the Fox network. We're not out there chasing <laughs> people down the street. We're not, we're not grilling them. So it's all really, really polite. We're not trying about, about getting in people's faces or, uh, or um, accusing anyone of anything. I mean, we all have our, our thoughts and opinions on this case, but the documentary itself was, was very respectful. I mean, that was the whole reason I only agreed to be involved in the first place. I had definite rules. You know, I was like, first of all, I'm not going to be involved in anything that says that this was real. I'm not going to be involved in anything yeah. that says this was even ambiguous. You know, like, oh, maybe it was aliens. Like, no, no, no. It's just like, it, it's a cool case. But if you want to get into the ambigu- ambiguity of the other people in the area that were experiencing things independent of Guardian, absolutely, that's fine. Um, maybe something was going on in that area. 
at that time. And it seems like there was something, uh, maybe a flap or something uh, in the early 90s. Uh, but in terms of Guardian, uh, I don't believe anything that he says. I don't believe the tape. I don't believe the documents. Um, I wanted that to be really uh, made clear before I was even going to participate. And, and they were. They were very adamant about that. And then the, uh, the documentary uh, very organically evolved into this larger story about belief, which, again, went into the whole fact that um, you need to have something where if you've got this project and yeah, the lab next don't want to be involved, you don't want to be chasing people down the street. Um, lots of other people just don't want to talk to you or they don't remember. So you, it's not to say that they didn't have enough material, but it just, the scope of the documentary ends up changing, you know, where it just is like, well, maybe the mystery is still okay. Maybe, maybe even if we're pretty sure what happened, you're only going to get to like 99, 95% surety outside of getting like signed confessions from all the people involved and you're never going to get those right so no no so, not unless there's once again like a maybe like a financial consideration put in front of people to sort of admit that this was all oh exactly a hoax but then it calls yeah. into question the whole like it's like this weird cyclical thing of like paying for you know uh, a confession that may or may not be fabricated at the same time um it's kind of funny that you say that because it echoes a lot of what we discussed last year in terms of like the process of belief and like you know uh wanting to be like a, a willing skeptic and like wanting to believe um, you know, that these things really do exist. And I feel like the documentary did a really, really good job of sort of like breaking that down. It was a lot of fun to sort of like see that like they did use, as you were saying, Guardian as like a springboard for a lot of like the process of belief. And I found that very fascinating because I was kind of hoping that it would kind of lead to that larger discussion versus like just discussing the optics of the case and things like that and just limiting the scope. It was it was almost philosophical at some points. Yeah, it was, they dealt with the subject matter really respectfully. Like they didn't come out and make people like really kooky um, either either overtly or or very passively the way that some of these shows do where they just sort of let the let the crazy people be crazy they don't make any judgment and then other shows are very um, literal and the fact that it's just sort of these people are ridiculous the subject matter is ridiculous so I just think even um, outside of the fact that it's it's a it's a good examination of the Guardian case it's, it's just a good UFO documentary you know I was I was really really happy with it um, and and the, the 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 way that they really handled the subject matter, I think um, once it finds a, a distributor stateside, where there's obviously a mass audience for for UFO themed media, I think they're really going to dig it. You know, there, there's a lot of people that really like that unsolved mysteries uh, segment. You know, like I still remember it. There's there's been lots of comments on the internet, like, oh, I remember that footage. I remember that. I remember Guardian. So a lot of people just. That's all they knew about the story, you know. Unless you Googled it and you found like the MUFON Ontario report online, but who's who's doing that, right? Most people don't aren't going to bother looking for that. So this was this was a nice um, sort of a compromise between uh, the people that won't make that effort to go look for this material online and the people that sort of never had all their questions answered and all they ever saw was this clip of unsolved mysteries on YouTube over the years. You know, I, I just I thought it was nice. I thought it was uh, it, it really did a good job of doing multiple things at once. You know. Uh, was there anybody that they interviewed for the documentary that you had never heard of or had never spoken to? Um, the people that had their independent sightings, the people that saw um, uh, the woman who had, who saw like the the light, the the two sisters that saw the light oh, down yeah, the, okay. the hallway, and the couple with the uh, the helicopter at the end of their property. I was there for all those interviews. The people they were speaking to is me, uh, sort of behind the camera. Um, it was supposed to sort of be me um, as a UFO investigator uh, interviewing witnesses. And okay. um, I, they just don't use my footage of it. So the I knew a little bit of the stuff at the time that that people were seeing other things. There, there's newspaper articles. Uh, I think it's like the Carp Valley Press from like 1990 or 1991 had reports of like weird entities being seen in people's backyards. And this was um, at least six to eight months before 
the Guardian videotape was even shot. So uh, stuff like that is interesting because it really does speak to something that may have been happening in that area at that time. So, uh, I mean, that's definitely interesting. I mean, there's not really much you can do with those stories. They're not necessarily proof of anything, but they, but it is it is provocative. You know? And and maybe Guardian used it as inspiration to create the hoax and the tape. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah. Just reading all these things, saying, oh, let, let me do something. People are seeing stuff. Let me give them something to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like Guardian, uh, the, the people who were who, who we, we believe were involved in the hoax were, were, were obviously very big into, into UFOs. So I think it's exactly what you said. I think that they got excited by this activity going there. And when these UFO flaps peter out, as they often do, they did not want the thrill to end. So what better way to do it than just create your own stuff and create something even better. So if you're seeing lights in the sky or strange entities in your backyard, which may or may not be anything, um, why not make a tape of an actual landed UFO with entities of your own on it, right? I mean, it's it's sort of like, it's all circumstantial. But again, that's all you really have these days. You're never, these people are probably never going to confess for one reason or another. I mean, they're not going to get charged or anything. It's there's nothing to charge them with. It's it's probably just embarrassment. You know, like they, there's nothing to be gained out of this. Um, maybe if I was in their shoes, I wouldn't want um, to admit it either. Even if, even if it seems like nothing, even if I just want the yeah. answers and, you know, just, just for my own satisfaction, just tell me that you did it and that would be fine. But some people just don't want to do that, you know, and, and, and I understand that on, on, on that level, like I can get it. And that's where you sort of just have to be satisfied that there's going to be some mystery to this case. There always will be, you know. Oh yeah, like the woman Sarah who was interviewed. Yeah, yeah. The um, the grandmother. The grandmother. The, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's a class, that's a classic case of she she may have had a genuine encounter, and then she meets Bob Exler, who's trying to sort of um, buttress up his uh, guardian narrative, so he makes a part of the guardian case. And I don't, I think she actually, um, when she spoke to the Mufon Ontario investigators after the fact. She had basically said that she wasn't even 100% sure it was on the night that the Labanek uh, event had taken place. Because she was interviewed like a couple years later, right? Who remembers exactly the day that happened, unless you wrote it down, right? Yeah. There was some question about whether or not her event even had any provenance to the Guardian case, or whether or not Bob was just roping it all together so it would look good in his book, which was a lot more in keeping with, uh, with his track record, frankly. Well, I was going to say that, like, there's almost like there's two mysteries, right? So I feel like there's the Earth-based who is guarding mystery. But then there's also, like, this new information, this kind of update information about a possible flap, all these, like, different lights being seen sort of, like, in the same area, right? And so, like, I I was kind of thinking the same thing you were in towards the other documentary as I was watching it live, that, like, it seemed more so that they just wanted to keep the thrill going and maybe get the attention in the area in order to bring the media. Because there, there seemed to be something else going on that wasn't verifiable, so why not just kind of kick it up to the you know the next level or, or kick it up a notch? Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. I mean, it's a small town, and um, maybe there's not a lot of excitement going on, especially, um, I mean, even now, 30 years later, the area isn't super built up, you know? Uh, imagine, there's a yurt. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's a yurt now, exactly. In 30 years, there's there's been a yurt. That's the closest uh, they've got to a subdivision. It's, it's not an area that has changed an awful lot, so... Maybe this was just entertainment back then. It was just something fun to do, and it just got out of hand. Because frankly, Guardian sends out this material in '89. No one's interested. He he ups his game in '91 and throws in a videotape in these Department of National Defense documents, and he gets a major American television show shooting in his backyard. Probably was not expecting that response, and that's probably also why we never heard anything from Guardian after that. Not a peep, you know. Mm-hmm. 
I, I like the fact that the, the guy's grandmother also had some documents of her own that she she basically left for him after she passed. Mm-hmm. She worked for the Canadian, Canadian government. Yes, yeah. And again, that's all part of Bob's narrative, right? I mean, he he tries to make it sound like she's got this sensitive government position and and on the on the one side, oh well, maybe that's the reason why she was abducted. You know, like it's just there. The aliens chose her because she's government, or or she she's she's got to blur her face out because um, the government, the men in black, will visit her. You know, and they'll abduct her away. It's like no, she had a job in external affairs. She doesn't want to show her face because she doesn't <laughs> want to get made fun of at her job or get fired. Yeah. you know, so yeah, that's it's probably a com- no- she probably has a comms job that like you know interacting with people is the entirety of your job, right? So exactly. to put that out there at the same time, yeah. and also like there's there's always and I don't know this is something like to pick your brain about, but like. Um, back then, a stigma, uh, maybe less of a stigma now. I, I'm not quite sure about that. What do you think, Angela or Ian? I'm going to throw it to either of you to sort of figure out whether or not there's like the, the same sort of stigma that, that there was in the 90s. Also, just to clarify, um, CARP is near Canada, which is where the senators play, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So uh, there is something going on there, sort of, sometimes. Definitely. There, there's definitely something going on there. The only thing that has happened there in the last like 30 years in the area, south of like southwest of Ottawa, has been that, I think. No. And I'm sure people that don't know the area are going to say, why do they pronounce Canada wrong? Oh, yeah. Oh, exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, would, what would you say, uh, Canada? Would you say that's a suburb of um Yeah, of I'd Ottawa? say, oh, that's a suburb. Yeah. 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 Like the peen kind of is too, right? Kind of yeah, like lower, yeah. everything like south of that. Part of the sprawl. This is the perfect podcast for your Ottawa area uh, map. Exactly. Yes. We, <laughs> we should all just voice the map quest. We could be like their uh, their GPS. You know? The local guides, yeah. <laughs> if you want to see where the Guardian UFO landed, you know, turn left now, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Recalculating. Hey, Ian, it's time to put together your star map, right? Like, you know, in Hollywood, you could buy your sort of like star tour map. Like, maybe it's time that you put together and sell for like, what, like 30 bucks? Like your your map of, to the stars, literally? Yeah, but you know, I got Guardian on there and then it's a heck of a jaunt to Falcon Lake and then all I got is, sh- all I got is Shag Harbor and that's <laughs> That's it, you know. Like I don't, well, here, I don't got why don't we? Else, you know? <laughs> um, so uh, let us. Maybe I have an idea, and that maybe we target Montreal, right? Because there's that Plus Adventure one from 1990. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. And then uh, in the next segment, we're going to talk about something a little more recent. But I'm just kind of curious. Um, coming back to the question, is there as much of a stigma now as there was back then in terms of like claiming to have been abducted or part of experience or you know have seen something? I don't think you really hear as much about it anymore. I was just talking to someone the other day about um, how there haven't really been any real massive UFO cases in, in the last while and how you don't even really even hear about alien abduction, certainly not as much as you heard about it in the 80s and 90s, um, whether or not people just don't believe it anymore or whether or not, um, I mean, I think in terms of UFO sightings and, and videos and photographs, when you've got the technology on your phone to fake these things so easily, like how do you how do you have any photograph or video now that's that's going to prove anything? Like someone shows me a video now and it looks really cool. I don't. I'm not convinced it's aliens. I just say, hey, it looks cool. It could be easily faked, you know. But maybe it's not. But like, what am I supposed to do with that? I mean, in this day yeah. and age, you can't do anything with that. It's no. It's it's neat. That's all I say. Hey, that's kind of cool. What do you want me to do with it? You know, it's uh, it's uh, it's like alien abduction too. It's just. Uh, the minute people have cameras on their phones and you could be recording this stuff, you don't hear about it anymore. It's I'm sure, I'm sure it's still there. I'm sure people are still claiming it, but it's sort of like, um, the nineties was like the second Renaissance of ufology. You know, I mean, you had X files, you had independence day fire in the sky, uh, the 50th anniversary of the Roswell event, alien autopsy tape. Um, 
it was just UFOs ha- were more in the pop culture than they had been since since flying saucers were first coined back in the 40s, you know, which I sort of think of as the first renaissance of ufology. Um, and then it just sort of petered out, you know, you had uh, you had the millennium, you had 9-11, you know, the world is is dark and creepy now. Um, you got terrorism. It's I always equate it sort of like the X Files. I mean, my wife and I were rewatching the X Files recently, and we were talking about how how almost quaint and adorable the conspiracies <laughs> on that show are today compared Absolutely. to the, the stuff you see in real life now. Like now, it's just like you just don't trust anyone. It's like now everything's fake news. You you can't even trust the news. You don't trust the weather. You don't trust something the yeah. politicians say. It's it's not even grassy knolls and assassinations and UFO crashes. It's just it's just this general paranoia and distrust about everything. You know, well, if well, you I mean, look, 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 who was the president for four years? Oh, yeah, yeah, just and permanent just damage. Look at his Twitter, yep. it got so bad that they had to ban the president of the United States. Yeah, it's a mockery. I mean, it's just like, what does that say to you about a world leader? Like, people can have different opinions about world leaders, but on the grand stage of the planet, that's embarrassing. You know, it's like, like, it's just like, even the people that support you, um, that's got to be humiliating. It's like, how bad is your guy? Like no one else is banning anyone else, you know, in other countries where they're doing sometimes worse things or maybe not as bad things, but they banned your guy from, from social media. <laughs> well, and, and now they're, they're having to retaliate against other leaders. Did you, I sent it to Brian, but there was a clip of uh, everybody's favorite Tucker Carlson mm. talking about uh, Trudeau and how Canada has internment camps for people that come back from vacation. I never did he mention that people stay in hotels and they no. they've chosen yeah. to travel and so they 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 knew these things right it's not anything bad well people people believe what they want to believe and I think the 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 QAnon um right wing conspiracy culture that we live in now is basically it's only reinforcing people's pre-existing prejudices and, and bigotry. So it's just like if if you are calling um COVID-19 the China virus it's not because uh, Donald Trump calls it that and you're a Donald Trump supporter. You probably had an issue with China in the first place, even before Donald Trump came along. It's just like it's 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 amplifying pre-existing things that people feel about immigrants or China or or whatever, right? I mean, when when I see these things, um, your your thoughts and feelings they're not created in a vacuum. You 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 no. grow you grow up with these things. They're developed. Usually, it comes from. Uh, your parents, because they're usually your role models. That's usually where it comes from, um, nine times out of ten. And then it just sort of goes on from there. But the conspiracy stuff these days, it's, like I was saying, compared to the X-Files, X-Files is entertaining. You know, this is not entertaining. I am not, like, I, I am doing, it's such work to be a conspiracist these days. It's just I was, well, I was about to say, it's draining. It's not fun anymore. No. And coming back. Coming back to your X-Files comparison, right? Like you think of the lone gunman on the show, right? Yeah. Those three guys are crackpots. Nothing compared to, uh, no. you know, the QAnoners, the Pizza Gators, uh, even the flat earthers. Oh, just- yeah. Yeah. Well, again, yeah, the, the, the lone gunmen are adorable. If you did the lone gunmen today, they'd be queuing on people. They'd be scary. And no one wants to watch that show. Like, no, that's just, no. that's, it's like when they brought back the X-Files, like, how do they do that? Like, what, what does the X-Files look like today? It's just like, I don't know if I want to watch that show. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, it's a lot of shills trying to make money off the government, right? Yeah. Like, let's let, let's be honest here. Like, let's take to the stars, for example. So there'd be a lot of that and uh, debunking. But I I kind of feel like we could do a reboot of the Lone Gunman where you keep them sort of like quaint, and then you have like the real conspiracy nuts that they're kind of working against. Yeah, yeah you can um, do that because like it's all degrees, right? It so would like, make there's them a look mistrust normal. there. They would actually yeah, start to look that's, normal. That's the yeah. whole point. It's so weird. I I I just started watching that documentary on HBO called Into the Storm, all about QAnon, and. I've only watched a couple of episodes, but it's terrifying. How how many times have you been on HN recently? 
Zero times. Zero. I, I don't want to believe that. I want to. Okay. I feel like you want to log on. It's you know, blocked at my house. Remember, we talked about this. I have <laughs> right, uh, right, right. Router. Brian says I net nanny myself because I. It's true. It's I, true. I blocked a lot of traffic directly on my router because of uh, the service I have, mm. and it prevents people in my house from going and seeing bad things. Not like H N. <laughs> so, Ian, about a year ago, you were sort of getting involved in this, and now you, you know, you've uh, been in a documentary. You have sort of like reignited um, uh, your love, your passion, your interest in UFOs. Like, where do you go from here? Like, do you? continue do you want to reinvestigate do you want to like start things up or is it more of like a you've had your time and kind of like angela and i you're more of a spectator than anything else yeah i mean i don't i'm not an investigator anymore i've always sort of kept a toe in with ufology just sort of to keep abreast of what everyone's doing you know um uh the more popular cases um i guess the last one which again turned out to be nothing was the the infamous roswell slides right which turned out to be like a, a mummified boy or something I can't remember what it was exactly, but it was an alien. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was the it was the Atacama uh, skeleton that ended up being with two stars and then like shipped back to South America for like proper respectful burial, right? So that yeah, kind of puts a cap on things there. puts puts a cap on things. So I mean, stuff like that. I mean, I sort of uh, I keep my my ear to the ground in that respect, but but again, I think it's just because like Guardian happened, um, and and again, I guess in retrospect, I, I kind of like the fact that I sort of had the whole story. And I was able to participate in that sort of a, um, almost like a bard, you know, like where they just, they know the entire story. So I was kind of like guardians bard. So I got to tell the whole story. I was there from the beginning to the end. I like that aspect of it. But for me, it was like, I never had a case as big as that. I never had one as big after that. Like guardian was my big case. And after that, everything's downhill. It was, nothing was nearly as interesting. So that's, that's the way it's been for 30 years. You know, I was sort of disenfranchised after working with someone like Bob Exler and the case, and the Guardian case itself was just so exciting that everything else was just sort of boring by comparison. So I got out of it, and even though my I've always still been interested in the subject matter, never really had the interest in being an investigator. If something like that came up again nearby, I probably would look into it because I, when I was back up there, and I and I told you like when I was uh, when I was sort of scoping the sites on when I wasn't filming, I was sort of driving around with my wife and saying, "Hey, this is where the car got stuck. Hey, this is where we." You know, this is where, uh, you know, so-and-so lived. Um, I did sort of feel it, you know, like, oh, wow, I kind of want to go back into it. And it's like, yeah. and of course now when you're, when you're a bit older and, and you like to think at least a little bit wiser, um, I think that I would therefore be better at it. So th- there is, there is a bit that sort of makes you want to break up the trench coat again, you know, and, uh, and get back into it. it it's fun. You know, I mean, it's, uh, it really is kind of like being in a movie. You know, I've said that so many times it sounds like the cliche that it is, but it's, it, it was, it was such a cool moment in time for someone like me where I've had this influence from my parents, you know, my mom interested in, you know, aliens and horror movies. And my dad is the the federal agent with the RCMP. I was just like the right guy at the right time to investigate this. So I don't think it'll ever come along again. But it would be great if it did, you know, and yeah, I, I, I would jump right in. You know, if there was if yeah, there was something else happening in this area or, or somewhere else like within driving distance, I don't need to borrow my mom's car this time. I got <laughs> you know, I borrow my wife's car. <laughs> you'd, you'd be able to document it better, too, because you have so much more equipment available mm-hmm. and it's much more easy to get video and photos. And, and it sort of brings me back to, you know, how you're saying there hasn't been much in terms of UFO cases or people talking about getting abducted and stuff like that. And one of the points is you kind of brought it up. 
you can't because people will say, well, you got abducted. Well, like Pixar didn't happen mm-hmm. because you have yeah. your phone. Did you have your phone with you? Why well, didn't mm-hmm. you take a picture? Yeah. But Brian always goes back to the point that they invented the iPhone. Well, of course. Right. Aliens, oh, yeah. It's alien Absolutely. tech, right? Yeah. So it, it's, it's, it's prevented. You of course. Yeah. Well, for me, in terms of alien tech, it all goes back to Area 51. It's stealth fighter iPhone. <laughs> that's all we've got from them. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> oh, and microwaves. <laughs> well, I think that's probably why they crashed the ship in the first place. They were flying. They were on their phones. It's like, oh, it's yeah. just <laughs> desert, man. We don't need to pay attention. It's just New Mexico. And then, then they ditched, you know. Um, you know, it's kind of funny talking about the popular sphere because, like, once again, this I, I don't know if you guys saw this online, but um, Stephen Greer was on Joe Rogan and like it got taken down. So I feel like Stephen Greer is kind of like the the it boy of the um, modern UFO movement, apart from like, um, you know, Tom DeLonge. And uh, around this time last year, Angela and I had watched Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, uh, which was like the last documentary that he had shot. Mm. And it's funny to just compare and contrast tonally in terms of what you were involved in versus this. We're, um, uh, Greer had like a lot of throwaway lines, like uh, people had died in a mysterious facility and things like that. Like, and it was fun to watch a documentary that like felt responsible to the subject matter compared mm-hmm. to wild accusations. And like you were saying, like a lot of the stuff out there now um, is very sensationalized because we live in clickbait culture and you need to sort of like, um, you know, as Angela was saying, like Pixar didn't happen or some kind yeah. of like a narrative that like works for, for you as well as to sort of like uh, move the needle online. Yeah. And I, and I saw the, I saw the Greer thing too. And and the thing is that when you look at Greer's career from like the beginning, he's almost become kind of a parody of himself now. Like, it's just, how do you take this? Like, he's like clickbait. He's like ufology clickbait now. And it's just, it's, it's, he, he's, he's up there now for me with the guy who's like, I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens, you know, like, it's just for me, it's like how, unless you're going to present any actual evidence, what do you want me to say? Like, it's just, I'll be polite and say, Hey, that's a cool story. Maybe it's real. It's just like, yeah, uh, I, I don't, if there's one thing that I had, and again, it wasn't me trying to be really sincere in, in the documentary. This is genuinely how I feel. It's just having respect for witnesses. I don't gain anything by saying you're a liar or, or you don't have any proof. Like, what's the point? You know, like I want to hear their story as the investigator. I'm trying to be impartial. I'm just collecting the evidence. And in this case, the evidence is their story. It's like an eyewitness account. If, if it was going to court, yeah, that is considered evidence. But if that's all you have, it might not be enough to convict a criminal in, in the court of law. Just like in this case, if all you have is, hey, I saw a light in the sky, that is not going to be enough evidence to convince me that aliens are visiting our planet. It's it's no, sort of, of it sort of goes hand in hand with those things. And also, like not just one light either, right? Like I like one person saw one light, cool. But like, what else can you look at, right? So, um, in thinking about that, um, in trying to come up with what we want to talk about this episode, um, I sent to the two of you uh, a link to a YouTube video about uh, recent. <laughs> UFO setting in Montreal that I was highly amused by because I got some stills um, from a friend of mine on WhatsApp. He said, my brother found these on Facebook. Do you know anything about them? And so I, I kind of did quickly some research. And uh, I, so I sent you like a minute or a, 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 I think it's like a minute or a minute 50 long um, YouTube video showing um, two spaces where it happened. And I just um, will link to it in the show notes, but I kind of, as well as obviously we will link to UFO Town, your documentary um, up now on CBC Gem um, in the show notes. Uh, Americans, I guess, stay tuned soon. Mm-hmm. Hopefully something comes out, but I want to get your initial impressions of this this video. You 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 don't live here, so you don't realize this. But in the video was pur- purported to have been taken like the day before, right? Brian? Yeah, some March 29th, ninth, twenty twenty one. Okay, and but you clearly see in the video there's snow everywhere. There was no snow here anymore. It was gone. It had been raining so much. It had been warm. So there's no snow uh, in any fields here. So you see an open field with snow. So obviously, you know, wasn't the date already? They get the date wrong. If they're making up the date, then what else are they making up? 
And also to me, it looks like a video shot where if it is real, if that's really what you're seeing, it looks like spotlights on clouds. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. I, I saw there was one, someone, it, it looks like, I thought it was like a drone at first, but it was actually a reflection of a, uh, of, uh, of a car's instrument panel that was reflected on the sky. And that's not what this one is, but that was what sort of, it's, it feels like it's a reflection off of something, like some sort of uh, a light source that... Um, Maybe it's not actually up there, if you know what I mean. It's not as as distant as you as you think it is. It's hard to say, right? I mean, it's always, it's so hard. I mean, I'm not a video analysis or I'm not a video analyst, rather. Um, so it's hard for me to say. It's just purely going on visually and comparing it to other things that I've seen visually. But it did not strike me as a as a craft with heft, you know, like like mm, uh, yeah. like solidity to it, you know. My sister lives actually like a, a, a five minute drive from the airport um, in the suburb that it's located in. And I, I gave her a call and she said nothing's going on. And also you can call uh, the media line with the police and find out if anything had happened. Right. So what I had done is I looked at the SPVM number, dialed it. And uh, no, they had no idea what this was about. So I was like, okay, mm-hmm. thanks. So, you know, there's just a lot of like questioning. Right. And so my only theory is that either it is lights in the sky locally or um, it can be faked. But it took so long to fake or create that the snow had melted in the interim, right? So <laughs> right. that's kind of what I was thinking is that like, you know, they may have shot this in a couple of weeks later, they ended up um, um, doing this. Um, and, you know, it's funny because in the YouTube comments, someone said, hey, I work at the Trudeau airport and we obviously didn't see anything or else everyone would be talking about it. So, you know, it kind of, the smell test kind of like failed it very, very quickly. And it was kind of funny to to see this sort of like pop up organically. And then, of course, um, as soon as I tweeted it out, there were some people insisting it was real from like around the world, which I thought was kind of interesting in that like um you know uh angela and i are local to the place you're canadian you kind of have a sense of like what's going on also Mm. like you have a set of eyes who can like watch things so to me the desire to like believe or buy in is like a very low threshold with these people and unfortunately like my big thing and i think the thing that could change society a lot is just um better funded media literacy across the board for everyone in terms of like being able to sniff out what you want to believe in what kind of like evidence you're looking for or like what do you need to know to come to a conclusion about something yeah i mean belief is is a powerful thing i mean there's a reason why i mean ufology goes hand in hand with religion right i mean when people have this experience they saw a ufo if they believe in aliens or they already if they already believe that ufos are 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 visiting um this planet and, and that they're actually vehicles uh, of extraterrestrials um there's nothing you can say that's going to change their mind the same way that if you with a religious belief it's 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 powerful you know it just you you can't change someone uh what they believe just based on on logic or facts or things it's 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 the power of belief i mean and it's it's something that it's a total double-edged sword when it's really great it's it's it can be it can be a powerful thing. It can motivate hope, you know. Like, I, and I acknowledge that, even though I'm not a religious person myself, I don't mock religious people because I know that for a lot of them, it's it's community. It's it's a very wellspring of of their of their of their being. You know, it's what motivates them. It's like, and that's fine if it comes from a good place. It does good things for you. That's great. But the other side of it is that people use it as this cudgel to hurt other people or to justify mm-hmm. their bigotry or their hatred or their racism. It's like, well, it's in the Bible. You know, God's telling me to do this, so. It's and again, you still can't change their minds because it's belief. Belief is so powerful. Whereas facts, um, I wouldn't say they're unassailable because sometimes facts do change as we learn more about about science. But they're they're a lot they're a lot more open, I guess. Whereas a belief is like, no, no, I saw that ghost or I saw Bigfoot, and there's nothing you can say. I I know what I saw, you know. 
and you can't change what I'm going to say. So like, okay, what, what can you do with somebody like that? Right. <laughs> well, I think, I think facts need to like, you can, you can contextualize facts in any which way you want. Right. Which makes them way more dangerous. And that mm-hmm. like it, it frames a narrative or whatever too. Um, so it's kind of like a no win almost. Well, look at Bigfoot. Bigfoot's a perfect example. It's like the, the best footage they would supposedly the best footage we have is the, uh, the Patterson footage. And it's like, 70 years old, you know, I mean, you're telling me like 50 or maybe it was 70, 60, 67. So it's it was, right? 60, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, but that's the best we've had, you know, and it's like, how come they haven't found a dead one? Oh, well, they bury their dead. They bury their own, yeah. Or, 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 or when, when, when was the last time you saw a, a, a dead deer or a dead bear? It's like nature uses up these things. Like, um, I've seen dead beer, dead, sorry, dead beer, dead, dead deer. <laughs> <laughs> Those two. Uh, but this idea that like, again, like if you want to contextualize the facts to suit your own narrative, then yeah, there's, there's Bigfoots everywhere and we just haven't recorded them because, you know, yeah. because you believe nobody has a camera with them, Ian. Nobody yeah. has a camera. No one, never. I'm going to beat that drum forever because it drives me crazy. Now that there are cameras on phones, like I said, I think you you see a drop off, and cer- certainly we've never had a Roswell or anything as big as that since since the '90s, you know. And, and even Roswell, I mean, the Roswell is always held up as this the the pantheon of, of UFO cases, and there's not a shred of evidence. There's no physical evidence, and and when it happened, it it was a big deal for like a day or two, and even the ufologists didn't pick it up again for 20 years. No one yeah. picked it up again until Stan Friedman and more wrote their books in the 70s. No one was talking yeah. about it for 20 years. It wasn't news. It wasn't a big UFO story until they made it a story with that book. And by then, uh, I think Jesse Marcel Jr. was still alive. But I think Mac Brazel was dead. Like there was, there was, there was very few direct witnesses. It was all, uh, well, my my dad told me about this. My grandfather told me about this. Like, and that was the closest they had to evidence. You know, yeah. It was just there was nothing. There was no debris. There was no crash site where it was clear that something had happened there. But that's the that's hell up on the on the uh, on the pedestal as the best UFO case uh, that's out there. You know, look at Russia, right? Everybody has a dash cam, right? And when that meteor hit, mm-hmm. when it was like ten years ago, right. Such a fleeting thing, so quickly in the sky, but so many images captured because everybody has those dash cams. It just bothers me that nothing gets picked up. Nothing. No, it's. Uh, I think that it's not a coincidence that the the prevalence of cameras on phones, and then suddenly, yeah, alien abduction, um, Bigfoot, anything that was on captured on camera, like locked lake monsters. I mean, you still see the videos. They don't don't get me wrong. They still pop up. But nothing that couldn't either be easily faked, and, they, and sometimes they do look like really bad fakes. And again, like I, I still watch them. I think they're great. There was there was that one where um, uh, I always really liked it. It looks like there's some sort of a, a lake monster in the Thames. It's sort of like a, this guy's. Mm. Uh, it's 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 creepy. It's because the person's just sort of panning away. It, it it feels more real because they're not focused on it. It's sort of in the in the corner as they're turning it. Um, and as I understand, that was that was proven to be a fake after some time. But but it, again, it's like the Guardian tape. These things are kind of spooky when you see them. There's a part oh, yeah. of your brain that says, "I knew it. They're real." You know, even though we're skeptics. You know, I think we're all pretty we're pretty skeptical about this stuff. Um, uh, all the present company here, but there's a part of us that that's got the Mulder. We want to believe. You know, it's a cool thing. Like like the let's face it. Like life is it's not boring, but it can be kind of mundane. You go to your job. Um, you you eat. You drink. You you go to sleep. Um, we like our lives, but. You know, it would be a heck of a lot cooler if there was that lake monster in London or if there was, you know, this actual UFO landings in West Carlton. It's it's cool. You know, it's it's something that that's exciting. That's the reason why 
we investigate this stuff. That's why why you guys do podcasts about this stuff. It's to this day we're we're still really excited, you know, and that's why I like talking to you guys about it. It jazzes me, you know, it energizes <laughs> me, you know. Well, I'm I'm looking at myself on camera here and I see there's a door behind me, right? And it's dark. What what if an alien pops out behind there, right? Like mm-hmm. little little guy in the little black suit with the big black eyes and the white face that you see in the Guardian tapes. Mm-hmm. You'd love what it. What if he pops up behind me? There was a, uh, it was one of those um, horror anthology movies. I can't remember if it was VHS or VHS. Oh, VHS. It was VHS two with the with the with the party. Yeah, alien alien yeah, yeah. abduction slumber party, and it's great. Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah, it's so good. But again, like if you had a camera and this was real, like that's what it would look like. And I was like missing the whole time. Like I was terrified. Absolutely. I was terrified. <laughs> Brian holds it up as one of the best alien things on film ever. Oh yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think it was pretty solid. I remember. Uh, the two that really stuck with me from that scene was when the kid jumps in the water with the waterproof cam and he sees the alien figure sort of swimming towards him. And then he sort of comes up and then he goes back under and it's sort of gone. And then that, yeah, the scene of the sleepover when it's sort of like the lights are going off and on. And every time the lights would come on, these giant stick figure aliens are there. Like with it's the bang, with that heavy, that heavy the, soundtrack. Was, the me. sound design on that was so good. Uh, Ian, have you ever seen UFO abduction? Sorry, the, or the McPherson tape. So this uh, is kind of yeah. like, the granddaddy, the Dean Eliotto um, directed one, which kind of like is, I feel like the truest representation of like a found footage movie because it was mm-hmm. obviously shot in consumer grade in the eighties. Um, very interesting. And then once again, it's that thing of like super mundane and then suddenly like descends into something else. And I feel like it's super effective. And I feel like um, um, the VHS segment definitely bored from that a lot. And I really, mm-hmm. really enjoy um, that. But it's funny just thinking back to the nineties, right? Like the alien autopsy footage. I so wanted to believe that as yep. uh, you know, as a 17 year old, when I first downloaded it off the internet or 18 year old mm-hmm. and I just, you know, I was streaming it and like, I so much wanted to, to believe that this was actually real because you don't see any of the stage production stuff. It's literally just a grainy black and white um, piece of film that you're just watching and trying to decipher for yourself. And you know, mm. you get that rush, that super exciting rush. And then suddenly you start to ask the questions that don't have any good answers to them. Yeah. And again, it's, it's like the guardian tape. I mean, at first glance, it's very provocative. And I remember watching, I was the same way I was, I remember downloading and watching it and uh, the alien autopsy tape and it, it's spooky. It's, it's very provocative. It's, it's a very well done until yeah, until you start questioning it, until you sort of you you ask all these questions about the provenance of of this footage, and then it starts to fall apart, especially when Stan Tilly doesn't have a lot of the answers, and then of course he eventually more or less admits to it several years on his later. deathbed. Oh yeah, yeah on his deathbed. Much. That's right. Well, they yeah. made a movie about it. They made a comedy movie that yes, alien abduction, yes. alien autopsy. That's about that's about it, right? But yeah, at the time when they were analyzing it, like oh, the phone cord it matches. They had that phone cord in 1947, and the clock, and they were they were doing all their analysis of everything that you could see in the room. Like I was there on the Usenets doing the same thing back in the oh, day, yeah, yeah. checking it all out. Right? It was it was it was awesome. Or people you know? who ended up with bits of the actual film being shot and like figuring out the Kodak codes, and it could only be like from the 30s, 60s, yes. or 80s, or whatever. Like that was some fun, interesting kind of stuff. Like it was once again, like, and we've talked about this, I think it was one of the first episodes we ever did, but like once again, like a nicely done fake, but a fake nonetheless. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's, and I feel like it's strangely enough is the kind of erosion that people have in the trust of, of institutions because they don't necessarily mm-hmm. ask these questions like a Fox special airing this sensationalizing it, right. Kind of like leads to, to low respect of, of not just talking about ufology, but just facts in general, I think. And you know, it's kind of continued in the, like we are the kids of a generation grew up on the X-Files. So I feel like unless, you know, you kind of go both either way, right. So either you become more skeptical or you wholesale want to believe Mm -hmm. um, that everyone's lying to you. 
Well, they don't they don't want the facts on a program like because it's not aired regardless of. I remember Jonathan Frakes was the one that was hosting the Alien Autopsy special on Fox, and again, the fact that you get a character or an actor whose claim to fame is that he's the star of a fictional science fiction show. Um, should sort of show you, and I, and I like Jonathan Frakes, but it sort of goes to the fact that they don't, they weren't really cared about the facts. It was, it was entertainment, right? They, 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 they spent money to, to license this footage. They need to get their money back. Um, and that's what it was, right? Because they're not asking any of the serious questions that we were asking when, when we, when the footage first came out, it's, it's, it's created this, um, audience today where, like you said, they don't, it's not even that they they don't question. They they don't even want to question. They they already they've already decided. You know they've already based on their feelings on aliens, big business, government. They've already they've decided before they've even had their first cup of coffee in the morning. They're there on CNN or Fox News or wherever it is they're getting their 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 information from. That's already um, feeding what they already believe. You know it's. Uh, it, it's a it's a strange world, man. Like this is what yeah. I mean. Like they, like I don't know what Mulder and Scully would make of this world today. <laughs> you know? Also, I think that like just the concept of information overload means that you're there's so much in your brain at all times mm-hmm. that you don't want to spend the time deciphering things because you are missing out. You get like FOMO of of other things that you may be missing out on continually, right? So trying to concentrate on on certain things or certain stories or you know especially when it comes to anything paranormal, right? It, it requires brain power that not everyone wants to invest themselves in. Absolutely, it's uh, I love information. I love trivia. I love factoids. But for me, uh, as a writer, uh, it's really it can be really hard for me to focus because I'll be writing, and then I'll come across something that I need to look something up, and the minute that I look it up, you go down that rabbit hole, and I start searching for everything, and then it's like you're only three clicks away to watching, you know, uh, videos of cats fighting with lightsabers, you know, and it's like it's like I don't even remember how I got here, you know, it's just like it's like you've had a blackout, and you wake up, and I'm watching lightsaber wielding cats. Um, but but I love information, you know, and I, and I like the cat videos, too. It's just everything. It's almost too much. And this is for someone like me who I love that stuff. Um, the fact that I can't even get the story that I'm working on done shows me that it is too much. It's it's hard to limit that because it's so available now. Right? It's on our phones. It's 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 floating anywhere you us. want. Yeah. And then you end up in a rabbit hole believing that the earth is flat. Oh, that's I and that's that's what I mean when when I'm talking about how the conspiracies have just gotten so ridiculous now. Where it's just I don't even have the energy. It's like you see these people, they're either trolling the flat earthers or they've got this thing where they, you know, their their facts how they 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 prove. Um, they they'll they'll share that uh, old uh, Carl Sagan video about how he shows that the Earth is round with uh, shadows and stuff. It's a really cool video, but I'm thinking, why waste your time? It's just like I. I don't argue with anyone on the internet. I don't care if no, it's, it's I don't waste. care if it's yeah. flat earthers. I don't care if it's people that like or hated the Snyder cut of Justice League. I don't <laughs> care. Like it's just like there are some people that just like oh you know uh, well they're arguing blah blah blah. I got to prove them that they're wrong or it's just like do whatever you want. I don't. It's a waste of my time. And it's not like I'm saying my time is super valuable, but I I hew very strongly to the Mark Twain idea of if you enjoy the time you're wasting, then you're not wasting time. So if you enjoy arguing with strangers about uh, Thundercats or Justice League or Flat Earthers or religion or Donald Trump and you just want to fight with these people and you're having a good time, then do it. But that is not how I have a good time. I would rather write. I'd rather play with my cats or go for a walk with my wife. And I'm not saying that I'm more noble than that. It's just that is I don't enjoy myself doing that thing online. For me, it's just it's a waste of my time. 
And yeah. you're never, you're never going to change anyone's mind, right? I mean, it's just no. like, when, when's the last time anyone ever changed anyone's mind on the internet? So um, for me, that's usually my way of extricating myself from, from the rabbit hole is uh, you start to, the minute that I start to realize that I'm kind of, oh, wow, there's something else I could be doing. You know, I, I should go clean the cat litter boxes. You know, I'm, I'm <laughs> out of here. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Well, it's funny you say that because, like, once again, circling back to belief, belief is so dogmatic and ingrained now that it's difficult to want to change. And that's fundamentally what I think is is a huge problem with modern society, not just when it comes to the paranormal, but just in general, right? The steadfast belief that you're right and everyone else is wrong and also, you know, it kind of ties into the idea of, like, social media um you know, boosting the ego and things like that. It's kind of like this weird interwoven um, set of, of issues that kind of like needs to be uncoupled, but mm. probably will not be in our lifetimes, unfortunately. No, I mean, it would be nice. And, and like, I get like as someone uh, speaking in terms of belief, and if you want to go to sort of say religion without making any real specific um, uh, proclamations, they're like, I'm not a religious person. And again, it's not like I, I go online and start mocking people for their religious beliefs and throwing all these kinds of facts at them to show them how they're ridiculous, because I don't actually believe that. But at the same time, I feel like belief in, in and of itself is a good thing. You know, I mean, it's the reason why people hope for things. It's, it's sort of like uh, belief is like the wellspring that hope comes from. So it's like, why would I ever attack someone for that? Like, suddenly I'm the one that's the jerk in that situation. It's not them for believing something I don't agree with. I'm now the jerk. So, and yeah. I don't think that I'm a jerk. So I don't do that thing. Angela um, and I can confirm you're not. So well, thank you. Thank you. you. Know, I appreciate uh, if that. I've been on twice. You know, you know? <laughs> your plaque's on the mail. So, um, so uh, circling back though to what you do for a living and writing and things like that, it's it's been a very big week for you in general because you shared some news with us that you also put on social media that's that's very interesting and I guess like kind of huge news for you too. So you um, uh, put out a collection of stories uh, in 2012, right? So um, every house is haunted is the anthology and. One of the stories in there has now been optioned by Sam Raimi in order to be turned into a feature film for Netflix, um, hosted by I think his name is Corn Hardy, I think, who did Corn, The Nun, which was a pretty Corn good Hardy. movie. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So you are now uh, uh the basis of uh what will probably an awesome horror movie hitting Netflix in the next couple of years. So this must be like a very uh, big change in terms of like how um you know you're viewing your your work. Yeah. It's um. It's weird because, I mean, I've only known about the Netflix deal since fri- last Friday. Like, it was great because we found out the same day the UFO documentary aired. So, like, basically, Mar- <laughs> March, tw- March 26th gets celebrated every year in our, in our house from this point on. Uh, whereas um, I've been living with the, the Ramy option for about two years. So uh, he optioned, actually, all of the stories in the book, all 22 stories. Um, and the first one that he's doing is, yeah, The House on Ashley Avenue. Um, it, the, the, the movie's actually going to be called Every House is Haunted. Uh, Raimi actually likes the title, so he wants that to be the movie title, which is great because, I mean, uh, it's one of these things that when, when the book, it's, the book is out of print right now, but it will be reprinted uh, eventually. So, it, so when people go to look for the book, it's not being one of these things where, hey, I like this movie. What was that book again? You know, they, sometimes they don't remember yeah. the name of the book. It's like, nope, the book is the movie. It'll funnel traffic right to it. So... It'll uh, have a Netflix badge on the book. Exactly. It'll have the movie. It'll have the movie. The movie tie-in cover. So there's there's also some other cool stuff about the uh, the reprint that I, I can't quite uh, I can't quite say yet. But uh, you know, that's another reason to come back on the show. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it, it's it's been very very cool. I mean, uh, it's uh, you you learn a different level of patience when you can't tell anyone something for two years, like the Raimi deal. And then when the Netflix stuff comes out, it's like, well, you only have to wait a week for that. And I was like, well, that's good because this is, this is hard to, <laughs> this is hard to contain. So it was, well, yeah, of course it was, um, at least it didn't come out on April fools. 
Oh, and I said that. I, I, po- yeah, I, did, I, know, I, I posted yeah. on Twitter. We were I was very like, worried about that, yeah. I wasn't even thinking of it. I wasn't even thinking of it. Someone posted something unrelated, and they made an April Fool's joke. And in my mind, I wasn't even aware of what the date was when I posted the Raimi news. Because all of March, um, March started with um, getting the, the UFO documentary ready. I started doing the marketing. I was writing this essay for the CBC. And um, I just flip an email to... Uh, to um, uh, this woman, Zainab, uh, Rami's producer, who's been my main point person throughout this project. And I said, I know I'm not allowed to talk about this Rami deal, but this UFO documentary is coming out. Um, they know that I'm a writer. They would like to mention some of my writing milestones. Um, can I can I say anything about, about the deal? Can I just say that he's optioned you know, some of the stories? And she writes back and she just says, oh yeah, we're shopping to the studios next week. Tell them whatever you want. <laughs> so it's <was just> like, <laughs> so <was> like, okay. <laughs> and then, yeah, it was just, she had sort of just, uh, they've always, they've been so fantastic about keeping me in the loop. And it's not just because um, I'm working for them as a consultant. I'm, I'm a paid consultant on the movie. Um, I think I just really hit it off with them. Because usually they don't even want to have the author involved. You know, they yeah, just, they buy the thing and they go do their own thing. So um, I, I, I really understood how, uh, how lucky I was that they wanted me to be involved in this. And the fact that they were, uh, that Zainab and Rami were keeping me up to date with the progress through everything for the past couple of years, when the script was written, when they, when they selected the director, they always told me. So, so hearing that the movie was finally going out to, to studios was, was fantastic. And then to hear that there was a bidding war for it um, was even better. Um, everyone was really excited. Um, they, when they, they, they wrote me this big mass email, but they were all on it and they, they wrote this thing. It was this, it was this really kind email. I was a little teary eyed there. My wife was actually in tears when, when we found out and uh, it was just it was just like really nice. It was it was really like a dream because, I mean, this is doing a film with 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 Sam Raimi and Corin. It's 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 like the film equivalent of like Stephen King saying, hey, you want to write a book together? <laughs> you know, well, I yeah, mean, like, like Sam of Raimi course. is like a horror legend. Right. I mean, it's just it's it's just it hasn't really sat in sunk in yet. You know, like it's it's I'm, I'm aware it's happening, but it's sort of like that out of body experience where um seeing the article on deadline obviously made it more real it was just you get these little shocks that oh it's actually real these little things that just um center you a little bit with it so uh stuff like that um has made it seem a bit more real but but even now which i guess is like a week later um i'm still i'm still in shock you know and i think i probably will be for a while you know it's uh I, I finished a new novel in December and I was finally getting back to it just to sort of give it a pass before I flipped it off to my agent. And I almost had it done like a week ago. I had like 5,000 words left to go. And every day I would open it this week, I would do like three or four words and my brain just wasn't there. I was like, I can't do this right now. <laughs> just like, it was just, I was just, all I can do is sit here and eat frozen yogurt and look at the wall because I'm just so distracted by, by oh, everything yeah. that was happening between the UFO documentary and then the Raimi news. It was, nothing was getting done. These, this is like really, really good writer's block to have. Like, this is the oh, good yeah. kind of like, well, and, you yeah, know, like, yeah. you know, and I know the last time you were on, you talked about, you know, being a, an author, you know, professionally for a couple of years. And it's, it's kind of nice to, to bask in those accolades, I think. Right. So it's, it's kind of really cool to, to have this synchronicity kind of like happen to you. You know, I'm not a big believer in them, but when it does happen, it's very, very interesting. So like, yeah. I'm super excited to see what's next for you. And like, I, you know, I guess we're like at least like a year and a half, two years out before the movie um, airing, I'd assume. Right. So I, I you know, I'm very, very excited to see where it goes from here. Yeah. Let's I hope mean, to be uh, out of lockdown by then. 
I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, it would be really nice if, uh, I'm happy for it to begin streaming, frankly. I mean, we were, uh, some of the other studios that were, that were up for that were, that were making bids for, would have been like a theatrical movie. And I was like, uh, it was like, if it goes to theaters, <laughs> it was like, that's a, such a, it's such a crapshoot right now with the pandemic. Who knows what the fears are going to look like in a year or two years or three years. Right. So it's like with streaming though, I mean, it's just, it takes a lot of the pressure off about how yeah, well this movie in. has to perform, you know, it could just Absolutely. be there for forever. So it's, um, there's a lot of possibilities with the way this movie is set up, um, with other stories being told. There's obviously other stories in the collection that, a- that Raimi has optioned that, that can go, um, that could, that could turn into films. I don't, I don't want to say too much about what's happening because, I don't want to take the wind out of this announcement. And I'm also not probably not allowed to say anything else. Like in terms of, I, I knew a bit more than what's was actually said in the, in the announcement. I mean, most people always right. know a bit more, right. In terms of, of the course. production and stuff. And, but you know what? It's like, that's also means that, uh, it's more fun stuff that I can talk about, you know, in the next, in the weeks, the months to come, you know, when, when I actually yeah. am allowed to say, Hey, this is when production starts or, Hey, this is when they think it's going to be released or when yeah, casting, yeah. when casting stuff comes like my wife was asking me about who do you see playing these characters? And it was like, it was funny. Like never enters my mind. Like for my stories, I don't really ever think, even though like I'm a big movie guy, I love movies and I write scripts and stuff, but I sat there, I was going, huh? Never really thought about it before. <laughs> do you know where angelo can pitch his his acting reel like you know you know let's find you an agent angelo let's get you in this i feel like i was gonna say chris hemsworth is the right answer for anything he he is i mean that's that's what my wife keeps saying to me you know she's like she's like do you think do you think that i could meet him i'm like like you know like this is a this is a pretty major milestone here for me baby and you keep talking about chris Chris yeah it's it's gotta be like yeah like steps to it right you you gotta work up to that yeah exactly you know but you know um, this time last year, you were letting the world know about Go Fish, right? Which was um, mm-hmm. on tour.com for a while. Since then, you've, you know, you've had some stuff out. So apart from the novel you're working on right now, like, is there anything that you want to make our listeners aware of? Is there anything that you want to sort of like push people towards um, or to check out if they haven't checked out yet? Yeah, actually, you know what? I've got a new novelette up on tour.com now. It's called Shards, and it's sort of a uh, – it's kind of like a, a cabin in the woods style horror story with a bit of a twist. And uh, I've had a few people email me now going – because this came out in the end of January of this year. And now in retrospect, they're like, you wrote that because of Sam Raimi. Like they're all making these connections back to stuff I was doing before. And I would say that it's definitely kind of an homage to the evil dead and, uh, and the cabin in the woods type story. I mean, he's not the only one who did those types of movies, but let's face it. He did one of the best. So, uh, well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would say it's sort of like a postmodern take on, on the cabin in the woods type story where it's basically a bunch of kids go to a cabin. And my idea was what if, only one of them died. The rest of them actually survive their experience in the cabin and all the really horrible stuff starts happening to them when they go home. So, um, that was my, that was what, that was the, the, the germ of the idea that uh, I came up with. And then I wrote shards. And who was in cabin in the woods? Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> <laughs> Good old so Angela, Hemsworth. It always comes back to Hemsworth. <laughs> well, uh, returning to your question about why everything is gold plated in his office now, Angelo, now you know why. I see yeah, Thor's hammer back there. Right. Uh, yes. A gold-plated <laughs> Thor's hammer. Yeah, it's usually hanging right above my head, held by my wife, because, you know, if I'm out of the picture, paves the way right for her and Mrs. Thor, you know? I, I, I don't want to I don't want to suggest anything, but maybe you should call around, see if there's been, uh, like, extra insurance policies taken out on you recently by anyone, just, just as an FYI, yeah. just making sure. I'll, I'll look into that. I think it's probably a good idea. Um, so where can people find you on the internet? Uh, my main website is ianrogers.ca and that's, uh, my main writing website. I've got, uh, 
I'm also on Facebook, you know, Ian Rogers, look me up there. I'm on Instagram. Uh, Super Noir Troll is my, uh, my screen name on Instagram. But if you search for Ian Rogers, you'll find me. It's all pictures of nature and cats, mostly. Some beer. That's, that's my Instagram feed. <laughs> and Twitter. On Twitter, I'm uh, One More Shadow on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, you know, swing by. Like I said, you're going to get a lot of pictures of trees and cats. That's, that's basically I keep it pretty light on social media. Nothing, nothing too heavy. <laughs> I hardly post on Instagram. And the latest picture on Instagram is actually a picture of you on my TV. Oh, really? So well, that's good. You don't want to go to my wife's Instagram because it's like, like you said, it's all Hemsworth all the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, Ian, it's been a pleasure. And I'm, I'm beginning to percolate an idea in my mind of like having you back to sort of like talk about different cases that uh, hold some significant historical um, interests, um, you know, because it's fun to talk to you. Let's be honest here. Like, I, I always love having you on. Angelo, I think, does too, though he's very like, like this. Well, they can't see you. Oh, right. Uh, you're just, uh, you're, you're kind of like a, you have a monotonous look to you. Like handsome? Like a... I think you were meant, you meant handsome. <laughs> oh, yeah. right. Yes, oh, yeah. of course. That's, that's what you yeah. meant. No, absolutely. I would, uh, I love talking with you guys and I love the show and uh, you have me back anytime. I'll be here. We'll pay you in gold bars. <laughs> I will definitely do that in that case. Um, Angela, we'll put our crypto money together, obviously. Oh yeah. Some, <laughs> what, what, some uh, NFTs. Yeah, let's do some NFTs together and we'll put that together and it'll be it'll be fine. Um, this has been it for episode 160 of the Double Density Podcast. And as always, you can find us over on DoubleDensity.net as well as on Twitter on at double underscore density and Instagram at Double Density Podcast, where you can also find a picture of Ian because uh, we were watching. Um, the doc- I watched the documentary twice. Angela watched it once because um, he's, you know, he had claimed to have done his homework and I'm very proud mm-hmm. of him. He's not a true fan, though, if he's only seen it once. So I'll true. watch it it's again. True. All right. <laughs> you better. <laughs> All right, everyone. See you around. Bye. <laughs>